0: This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot.
1: Well today again we begin a brand new sermon series, When He Spoke. And He spoke seven times from the cross. These next seven Sundays we're going to take time and examine very carefully what Jesus said on the cross. And so I'm going to ask you, if you would, to take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. And I'm going to give you some background to the cross before we actually get to it. Uh, I pray that as a, a Bible student, everybody, the Word says to study, to show ourselves approved unto God. And if we're going to grow in grace, we have to study the Word. And that's what we're going to give you this morning. It's sort of like the cross 101. We're going to give you some very important background that leads up to the cross. But the things that we're going to talk about are so significant. And you might be aware of some of them, but we're going to try our best to give you some of these events as they happen in chronological order. And so when he spoke this morning, the words of forgiveness. I want to read for you Luke chapter 23, verses 27 through number 34. And so if you have your Bibles open, I want you to look at these scriptures as now they appear on the screen. Luke chapter 23, beginning with verse number 27. And uh, actually, let's look very carefully here as we're reading these scriptures together. And there followed him a great company of people, and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wounds that never bear. And the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say, To the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry?
0: And there were also two other
1: malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place,
0: which is called Calvary, there
1: they crucified him, and the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted their raiment and cast lots. For the background this morning, I want to give you, and we have taught on this many times, and every year I, I feel that we're putting the puzzle together, and I hope that you are giving it uh, presented in such a way that you're able to put some of these things together yourself. But for uh, refreshing our minds and rehearsing ourselves again in the Word, I want to first talk about The Six Illegal Trials of Jesus, because we're going to lay a foundation of the events that took place before he got to the cross. And uh, it's important, I believe, as believers, that we know exactly what the Savior went through before the crucifixion itself. And so it's important for you to know and understand that during the night after he was Betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, they took him to six different stations to be tried. And all of the trials of Jesus during that night were illegal. And I'm going to share with you in Scripture why. And so again, Jesus was illegally tried six different times after he was arrested in the Garden of Eden. I want to show you how this takes place. Judas Iscariot comes in the garden. Do you remember what Jesus said after he left the upper room and he had already declared that one was going to betray him? And the disciples had no idea who it was. They sat there when Jesus said, one of you are going to betray me. All right? You remember, not only was there going to be a betrayal, but there was also going to be a denial. These disciples turned to the Lord and said, is it me? They turned to one another and said, is it I? Judas got up off of the table. Jesus was instituting the memorial supper. He then washed the disciples' feet. Judas had already left. He had negotiated the life of Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. They began to ask him questions. What does he look like? Where is he going to be? Do others follow him? And on and on. And Judas said this, he'll be in Gethsemane. He prays there often. And he says, I'm going to identify him to you. I'm going to walk up to him and I'm going to kiss him on the cheek. And when I kiss him on the cheek, I'm going to say, Hail, Master, that's the one. Jesus, knowing all things, led his disciples to Gethsemane, out of the upper room. He led them to Gethsemane, and he said to the disciples, he said, I want you to stay here and pray. But he said, I'm going to go a little farther and pray. Peter, James, John, come with me. Jesus gets these three together, and he says, look, I'm going to pray, but I'm going even a little farther. I want you to pray and watch. In the course of the prayer meeting, the disciples fell asleep. Jesus comes and says, Man, I just asked a little thing, just to watch and pray. In the course of that small rebuke, Judas is leading a band of Roman centurions. They have spears, lanterns, torches, swords, and they're marching like they're going to combat. They walk up to the Lord, and they speak the words, Where is Jesus of Nazareth? Judas is walking up to him and saying, Hail, Master, kissing him on the cheek. When all of this took place, you know the story. Peter drew a sword, according to the word of God, in defending what he thought would be defending Jesus in the moment of hysteria. He took the sword and he cut the right ear off of Malchus. Jesus rebuked him. But in this moment of pandemonium, they took Jesus, they bound him. And this is where the story picks up. I want you to see what they did first. They first took Jesus to a man named Annas. And they will get these scriptures on the screen for you in John chapter 18. And beginning in verse number 12, I want us to look at this very carefully. And I want us to go through each one of these scriptures, John chapter 18. And let's look at this in verse number 12. The word says, Then the band and the captains and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him and led him away to Annas first. For he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest the same year. All right? So when Jesus was bound in Gethsemane, according to the word, as you have seen here, they first took him. To Annas. Secondly, when they send him away, they send him then to a man named Caiaphas, which verse number 13 talks about. In John chapter 18 and verse number 24, the word says, Now Annas had sent him bound under Caiaphas, the high priest. Now all along, keep in mind, this was not just bumping into individuals. They are dealing with him. They are interrogating him. They are abusing him. So from Gethsemane, they take Jesus to this man called Annas. And then from Annas, they take him to this man named Caiaphas, number three. Then from Caiaphas, they took him to the Sanhedrin in Matthew chapter 27 and verse number one. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. This was in the Sanhedrin. Look at this. All the chief priests and the elders. This is the Sanhedrin. From the Sanhedrin, they took him to Pilate. In Luke chapter 23, verses 1 through 5. And the whole multitude of them arose and led led him unto Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. And Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he said, Thou sayest it. And in verse 4, then said Pilate to the chief priest and to the people, I find no fault in this man. In verse 5, and they were the more furious, saying, he stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. All right, from Pilate, they took him to, and you are familiar, I believe, with Herod. And there were a couple of Herods in the scripture. But from here, Luke chapter 23, verse number 6 through 7. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. As soon as he knew that he belonged under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. Now, Herod, after interrogating and abusing Jesus... Herod sent him back to Pilate. In Luke chapter 23 and verse number 11, and Herod with his men of war set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. So you get this now. In Gethsemane, Jesus was praying. He had been Sorrowful that his disciples had fallen asleep. And then he sees the Roman centurions and Judas leading the band. Judas walks up to him, places the kiss of betrayal on his cheek. And then all of the hysteria takes place. Then from one station to another, and you have just seen it here, and I hope you followed along in the bulletin. But from one station after another, Jesus was tried illegally. Six times in the night. Now, what was he accused of? His first crime, there were three primary crimes against this order of law with the Jews that they were accusing Jesus of. One was blasphemy, the second one, they were accusing Jesus of claiming to be the Son of God. But not, and that was, that lit their fire. But what equally did as well is the third accusation or the third crime that they were charging Jesus with, and that was that he was claiming to be the king of the Jews. So remember now, all through the night, one place after another, six different times. They accused him of blasphemy, claiming to be the son of God and also claiming to be the king of the Jews. Now, I'm going to tell you why these trials were illegal. Listen very carefully. Number one,
0: according to the Jewish law, no trial was to be held during the feast time.
1: Number one, that's critical. Number two, each member of the court was to vote individually to convict or acquit. Keep in mind, he was being tried all night long. But Jesus was convicted by acclamation. That means this, rather than Jesus giving or getting the benefit of calling the roll, In other words, like they do in our society today, in our laws of government, the chairman would call for the order of the clerk, and the clerk would say, Mr. Brown, how do you vote? Aye, nay, whatever, Mr. Smith, Mr. Jones. And that was the way that it had to be done. But Jesus was not convicted on an individual roll call He was convicted by acclamation. That means this, that when they said he is accused of blasphemy, he is accused of claiming to be the son of God, he is accused of claiming to be the king of kings, how does everybody feel? And vehemently, everybody said, away with him. Crucify him. He needs to die. Now, that happened all at once. That was totally against the Jewish system And then number three, if the death penalty, and by the way, that's what they were seeking. They were not trying to give him 30 days in jail. They were trying to crucify him. They were trying to kill him. And so according to the Jewish system, if the death penalty was given to a criminal, a knight a single night had to pass before the death sentence was actually carried out. However, from the time they took Jesus from Gethsemane all the way back to Pilate for the third time, it was the wee hours of the morning, and only a few hours had passed before they were actually nailing him to the cross. Number four, The Jewish people, they had no authority to execute anybody. Number five, no trial was to be held at night. But all of these trials of Jesus happened all night long. Number six, the accused was to be given counsel or representation. In other words, criminals were entitled to have a lawyer. But Jesus had none. And number seven, the accused was not to be asked self-incriminating questions. But Jesus was directly asked, are you the Christ? And so when you think about this, and by the way, Jesus had no reservation in speaking, I am. I am he, Jesus of Nazareth. So I want this sermon series to begin with a little background. You know the process. He was tried six times during the night. You know what he was charged with, and you know now a little bit about how the governing system should have acted for a citizen, but totally, it was totally irrelevant for Jesus and his circumstance. And so here in our text, in Luke chapter 23, verse 27 and 34, we find the words of forgiveness. A little bit more background before we dive into this, we find in these words, the prophecy of Calvary coming to pass. It was now a reality. And by the way, the prophecy of the cross, the coming of the Messiah going to the cross, the prophecy goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15. I mentioned that from time to time. And it was declared by God himself that Jesus would have to die, all the way back to Genesis. According to that scripture, that prophecy, Jesus would bruise the head of Satan, and in that process, Satan would bruise his heel. And that's talking about the prophecy of the coming of the Messiah and actually the crucifixion itself. And so now, think about it, since the days of Genesis all the way through the Old Testament, now after 4,000 years after that prophecy, the darkest hour in heaven was now taking place, and it was on center stage. And by the way, there were a couple of dark hours in heaven before this instance. It was a dark hour in heaven when, when Lucifer, Satan, rebelled against God and led a third of heaven's angels in a revolt. It was a dark hour in heaven when Jesus had to leave the Father's side for the very first time in eternity past to carry out the simple plan of salvation. But out of those dark hours, what God was going through right now, what heaven was experiencing, this hour when Jesus was on the cross... It was the darkest hour of them all. The only begotten Son of God, listen now, He was now in the hands of evil, wicked men. They were not just calling Him names now. Here was the day of the crucifixion. Now, all of us know this, that the purpose of Jesus coming into the world, and which I hope you know. If you don't know, please learn this truth today. That the purpose of Jesus coming into this world It was not that he would become a famous man, and it would not be that people would write songs about him and poetry about him. It would not be that he would start a new religion and a new fad. It would not be, and even though he did, it would not be just to perform miracles and to show people supernatural wonder-working power. It was not just to have, even though he did, it was not just to have a human experience. His purpose for coming to this world is summed up in one simple verse of Scripture. That verse of Scripture is Luke chapter 19 and verse number 10. This is why Jesus came to the earth. Now look at it carefully. The purpose was... For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. There are four aspects to this whole thing in Luke 19.10. He came to give the plan of salvation. He came, and, and that's very important. He came to give the plan of salvation. Number two, he came to satisfy God's payment and justice for sin. That was the purpose of his coming. Jesus coming to this earth and now on the cross dying for sin, it would be that God would provide through Jesus a completed plan of salvation for anyone that would believe and call upon his name. And by the way, I want to say this. I'm so thankful that salvation is free and for all. I'm thankful that anybody that wants to be saved can be saved. Anybody that wants to have a relationship with God can have a relationship with him. Anyone that wants to be born into the family of God and have eternal life can be. Because according to 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9, the Bible says this, that it's not the will of the Father that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That means that the Lord Jesus, when he was dying on the cross, he was not just dying for Baptist and Pentecostal and Presbyterian and the Catholic. He was dying for the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so, listen carefully, he came to give us the plan of salvation. He came to satisfy God's payment and justice for sin. He came to give the world a choice. You see, God doesn't force himself on anybody. He doesn't force his love on anybody. God knew way before man was ever created that when he did take the dust from the ground and form man into his own likeness and image and breathe the breath of life into his nostrils, making him to become a living soul, God knew before the foundations of the world that when he did do that, that man would eventually sin. And he knew that when man sinned, he would require, it would be required, the payment of sin, it would be required that the holy blood of God himself would have to be shed through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so number four here, listen carefully. He came to give not only the plan of salvation. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to satisfy God's payment and justice for sin, and he came to give the world a choice. So think about it. In John chapter 1, verse number 11, the word says he came unto his own, and his own received him not. And so listen, God's not forcing himself on anybody. If there's anybody here today that's thinking, well, you know, I might try this Jesus thing out. Be reminded of something. He will never force himself on you. He will never force you to love him. He will never force you to like him. He will never force you to take his words. He will never force you to trust him. If you want to have this relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to have to come with your own free will. And when you call out to God, sincerely seeking him, with a desire to know him and the power of his resurrection, when you call out to him, And you say, oh, Lord God, I cannot make it on my own. And I realize that. I realize that I've been born in this earth, in this world as a sinner, and I need a Savior. And the only way that I can have a relationship with God Almighty, with you, is to open up my heart and to give you my life. And I'm asking you to be my personal Savior. I know you are the truth, the life, the way. There's no other way. Save me, Lord Jesus. When you're willing to come to that, recognizing and realizing that your sin, your past, is a death sentence in eternity, separating yourself totally from God. But he can give you life everlasting if you open up your heart and allow him to come in. But he will never, ever come in unwanted. You have to ask him to come in, and he will. When you think about these circumstances now that Jesus was facing at the cross, he was rejected by his own people. The word says he came into his own, and his own received him not. When he was born in Bethlehem's manger, there was no room for him in the inn. Shortly after his birth, Herod tried to kill him. So he was rejected by large in almost every phase of life. When he began his public ministry at the age of 30 years old, by first turning the water into wine, it was then as his testimony as his ministry as his witness as his words begin to fluctuate throughout the world it was then that people stood back folded their arms especially when he was declaring that he was the son of God they began to accuse him they began to try to trap him in his words they would by large reject him and by the way They not only rejected him then, but they, by large, as a world today, reject him now. Think about this. But in this event on the cross, in the mind of God, while Jesus is hanging on the cross, God knew before the foundations of the world that the cross would escort the Lord Jesus to the climax of his divine mission and what he came to this earth for. As I read these sayings on the cross when he spoke, I cannot help but to allow my mind, and I think probably you if you keep your hearts open, to reflect a little bit on the cruelty events that led up to this place. Brother David did some great music selection today. Rhea did an amazing job talking about the cross, the blood of the Lord Jesus. I think it's important for us to remember that Gethsemane, was a place where Jesus willfully yielded himself into the hands of these wicked men. You know, sometimes people talk about how these barbaric people killed Jesus. And I hear that, and I I know what they're saying, and I know what they mean, but let me emphasize something to you. Nobody took Jesus by force, and nobody murdered him by force. Jesus willfully and freely gave himself. He laid himself on this altar of the cross. Even though these men were going through these horrific things to put him there, he willfully allowed himself to be subjected to this. When Jesus was approached in Gethsemane, listen, they didn't take him by force. When Jesus was asked the question, Where's Jesus of Nazareth? Jesus responded, whom seek ye, first of all? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I'm he. Now think about this just for a minute. You know what the word says when, when they said, when Jesus said, who are you looking for? And the men said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And you remember the word says, I am he. And you remember what happened when he spoke those words. The Bible says they immediately fell backwards. So these guys falling backwards, imagine this now. They have a sword in their hand. They're laying on their back. They're looking at stars. All the clanging and things going on, all the commotion, they're falling. And, and Jesus now, he's going, I'm he. I'm the one you're looking for. Now think about this. Just a thought. All Jesus would have had to do was to think a thought and to say, you're out of here. You, you're
0: out of here. All he had to do was wink. All he had to do was speak.
1: But he didn't. He said, I am he. They begin to now put a rope around his neck like he was a dog and trying to lead him out of Gethsemane. But he did not put up any ruckus. He did not try to defend himself in any way. Eventually, in one of the Pilate experiences, Pilate is trying to make a prisoner exchange. But the Jews are crying out, listen, we want to crucify Jesus. You let Barabbas go. We want to crucify Jesus. They demanded that they would crucify him. And it didn't matter what kind of justice that Pilate or Herod or anybody wanted to offer to the people. They only wanted Jesus dead. They only wanted him out of the way. Now think about this. After all of the illegal trials, Pilate permitted the horrendous scourging hoping that this would even satisfy the people. They took the cat of nine tails, and you know what that's about. They took this object that had nine strands of leather on it, and at the end, whatever sharp object they could attach to it, whether it was bone or whether it was sharpened rock or whether it was sharpened pieces of metal, nine strands, and the order was given that they would take this cat of nine tails and they would whip the, the back of Jesus with it. Now you think about this. This is horrific. This is barbaric. But it wasn't just a lashing. They took the cat of nine tails and it had to be a well-trained, well-trained Roman centurion to carry out this exercise. They took that cat of nine tails and when they swung it across the flesh of Jesus on his back, his hands are tied, he's hanging up, They're whipping the flesh off of his back, but it wasn't just a thrashing. As that whip went around his body, it went around his body, and then those sharp objects caught him in his flesh. They took that cat of nine tails, and they whipped it back off of his body. That's jerking all of the flesh off. That's exposing his vital organs, and in some instances, catching, latching onto them. This was horrific. It was barbaric.
0: While they're doing that, according to the scriptures, they're plucking his beard. And then they begin to spit
1: in his face. I want you to see this verse in Isaiah 52, verse number 14, because I think so many times we miss this all together. All we think about is Jesus on the cross, but there was horrific events that put him there. But this verse of Christ- a scripture, look at this. You may not be familiar with this, but this was a prophecy of Isaiah, 750 years before Jesus got to the cross. Isaiah said, as many were astounded thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Look at this now. This is what Isaiah is saying. When Jesus goes to the cross, he's going to be scourged in such a way. He is going to be beaten in such a way that he will be beaten beyond human recognition. His visage, his appearance, his face was so marred more than any and his forms more than any. Listen, it was not just the nails in his hands. It was horrific torture, brutality. And not only that, Pilate gave permission in the midst of all of this for them to place a crown of thorns on his head thorns that had two inches attached to them. When they put the crown of thorns on his head, it wasn't just a little uh thing that you might see that resembles a halo of some sort. And we're not trying to make him look pretty. They took this crown of thorns very craftily made and they shoved it down into his brow with the thorns two inches long, penetrating the bone of his skull. Then they led him down the Via Dolorosa. They led him outside of the city gates And then they threw his filleted body down upon two pieces of timber. They nailed his hands, they nailed his feet, and then they raised the cross to a hole and they threw it in the ground. And you imagine, you imagine the horrific brutality and the pain and the agony suffering the Lord's going through. There is blood draining from every nook and cranny of his body. His hands now nailed to the cross, his feet to the cross like this, by the way. We'll get to that momentarily. But then they jar the cross, and you can imagine the weight, the horrific weight of his body going down on those nails. And so when the blood is trickling down his face, his brow, his arms, and his body, it's then that he speaks these first words. This first saying of the cross in Luke 23, verse number 34. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his garment and cast lots. Now, these are the first words. This is the first time Jesus spoke, and they're the words of forgiveness. And by the way, the words of forgiveness, it goes to the very heart of salvation. It's sad, but many people in this world today have a very difficult time with forgiving. People can go through all kinds of therapy sessions. They can have all kinds of counseling. They they can do all kinds of things for whatever horrific things have taken place in their life. And they should be getting all the help they need. But I will tell you, as believers, as Christians, sometimes moving forward, moving on is a very difficult thing, especially if somebody's wronged us. Forgiving is, is a very difficult thing for us to to grasp sometimes if we've been hurt or wounded with words or been betrayed by friends or whatever it is a lot of times we we cannot help because we're human beings and i think it's an evil wicked human nature to do it and it has to be put under the blood it has to be nailed to the cross but we're very weak at times and if somebody hurts us and wounds us and and does something to our lives we have a tendency just just to talk about it get it going maybe maybe we we hear it in people's whisper maybe we see it in people's conduct maybe we feel it in people's attitude maybe maybe we just bleed with self righteousness at times and maybe we just hold on with the grudge and we're just not we we say you know what i i i just can't get past what he said i cannot get past what she said i cannot get past what they did but listen carefully i want to try to help you with this this morning because if you have a problem forgiving people Let me give you the key that will unloose your shackles. There are three things now about this. Listen carefully. You don't forgive people because they deserve to be forgiven. You basically forgive people for three reasons. Number one, when you forgive, you're setting yourself free. There is no way that you're going to have peace and joy If you're holding on to a grudge, you might say, you don't know what they said. You don't know what they did. I don't have to, but I will tell you this. One of the best things that you can do if you have been wronged in any way, shape, or form in your life is take it to the cross. Take it to the Lord. As the old song says, take your burdens to the Lord and leave it there. Take it to the cross and pray. Listen, you'll not be happy. You'll not experience peace or joy unless you're willing to do that. Otherwise, you are going to be the one locked up in shackles. You're going to be the one miserable. The people that wronged you, they're skipping through the tulips. They're having a good time in life. They're enjoying life. But because they wronged you, you're over here in the shackles of misery. You can't sleep. You can't eat. You can't do anything but have nightmares and think about what they said, what they did. If you want to have love and joy, forgive and it's not forgiveness listen forgiveness is not agreeing with what somebody did and it's not it's not even pretending that it didn't happen
0: things leave scars in your life
1: but if you want to have love and joy and peace you forgive number 2 listen you have to remember something if you are unwilling to forgive let this speak to your heart. Whatever somebody did to you, you are very capable of doing the same thing to somebody else. You might say, I, I wouldn't do that. What they did to me, I'd never do that. No, indeed, I'd never do that. Peter, before this night nice is over, you're going to betray me. Three, Not me! I'll go to jail for you. Peter, you're going to deny me three? Not me. Listen, we have to remember that we're very capable of doing the same thing that somebody did to us. So you forgive to set yourself free. You forgive because you understand that the same thing could happen to you. But number three, if you don't forgive, Well, there's a scripture for that. In Mark chapter 11, verse number 26, Jesus said, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. So you forgive. Listen, he's hanging on the cross and he's saying, Father, forgive them. When Jesus spoke these words, they were words spoken directly to God. Keep in mind, Jesus was in the spirit of prayer. And this is interesting. When he began his public ministry, he began with prayer. Luke chapter 3, verse 21, the word says, Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened. This is how he began his public ministry in prayer. And now on the cross, his earthly ministry was now ending in prayer. That's a beautiful example that he left us. He taught us in life to pray, and he taught us how to pray in death. Here on the cross, he was practicing what he preached, to love and to forgive your enemies. That's what he said. Now, I'd like for you to notice four things real quickly here. I'm out of time. I've got to speed read this. Listen very carefully. Follow it on your bulletin. Number one, what do we see from these words Jesus spoke from the cross the first time? Number one, we see the fulfillment of the prophetic word. It was prophesied that on the cross, Jesus would become an intercessor. And in Isaiah chapter 53, verse number 12, the Bible says he made intercession for the transgressors. For those who were crucifying him, he prayed for their forgiveness. Number two, Christ identified himself with his people and asked the Father. This is very interesting. When Jesus was hanging on the cross and he spoke those words, Father, forgive them. He identified himself with his people and asked the Father to do the forgiving. Isn't it interesting that when he was hanging on the cross, he didn't look at the one that just nailed him to the cross and say, hey man, I forgive you? Well, how about the one out there that spit in his face? Isn't it interesting how he didn't say, Hey, hey, you, I forgive you? When he was hanging on the cross, when he spoke these words, he said, he, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I wonder how many times a day do we ask for forgiveness? I want to show you something interesting here. When Jesus walked on this earth, before the cross, this is what he said. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 2, and this deals with the man that was sick with palsy. He said, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. And then in Luke chapter 7, in verse number 48, he said to the woman who washed his feet with her tears, he said, thy sins be forgiven thee. And then in John chapter 11 verse, or chapter eight, verse number 11, to the woman that he found in adultery, he said, go and sin no more. So in the earthly ministry of Jesus, he was walking all over the place saying, I forgive you. I forgive you. Go sin no more. I forgive you. Be thy healed. Your sins are forgiven. All in his public ministry. That's what he was saying. But now on the cross, he's not the one saying, go and sin no more. I forgive you. I forgive you. That's not what he's doing. He is now hanging on the cross. He is taking upon himself the sins of the world. It was the just now dying for the unjust. Jesus was dying as our representative. He was our vicarious substitute. According to the word of God, he was our propitiation for sin. He was no longer on the cross. He was no longer in a place of authority. As in Bethlehem, he once again took his place among the lowly. And with the sins of the world on his shoulders, only God, while he's hanging on the cross, taking upon himself our sin, Only God could do the forgiving. Only God. Number three, real quick. We see the blindness of the human heart. And Luke 23, verse 34 again, then said, Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. This might be an interesting statement for you. You've heard it many times. They know not what they do. This does not mean that they were ignorant of what was actually happening. They knew they wanted him dead. They knew that they wanted him crucified. They knew that they wanted him gone. But when Jesus said they know not what they do, he was saying they don't understand the enormity, the enormity of their sin. They refused to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Simply refused to believe it. That he was the only begotten son of God. And lastly, and I want our musicians to come forward, we see the depth of redeeming love. Look at this, verse 34 again, Father, forgive them. Because you see, they believed that he was an imposter, that he was a blasphemer. And after man had done his worst, those people did not realize what they were doing. Yet they still needed forgiveness. Sin is never tolerated or accepted by God. But I tell you this, whatever your sin is, God can forgive it. And God is willing to. In Mark chapter 3, verse 28, the word says, Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men. Thank God Calvary covers it all. You might be tormented by something in your past, that you just cannot get over, you cannot forget. And it seems to come up every day or it awakens you at night. And sometimes you have a spell that lasts three or four days and then you feel good and then you're right back and then you feel good. And it seems like your life is on a roller coaster maybe with something you just can't shake. You've tried everything you can think of and nothing's working. It reminds me of a story that I was refreshed with this past week of a young man just like that. He had lived a wretched life in his youth. And his closet was full of skeletons like most of ours. And he tried and he tried and he tried to forget it. But he lived a rebellious, a shameful, a wicked life. He got to know the Lord and he got saved and he was baptized and he joined the church and he wanted to serve the Lord. But every now and then, it'd be like the carpet would just be jerked out from under his feet. He was reminded. Over and over again, it was like the devil pointing his finger. Look at you. You call yourself a Christian? Look what you used to
0: do. He said he was tormented with it.
1: But as he got more familiar with the church, there was a lady in the church who had developed a wonderful reputation of knowing how to pray and knowing how to pray through. People in the church would come to this particular lady knowing that she knew how to get in touch with God. As if she would stand in the very throne room of heaven and fall before the holiness of God himself. That's the kind of reputation this lady had. Very elderly, seasoned in the word, seasoned in the faith. In fact, many people came to this lady for problems and troubles and trials they were going through and said, will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? We, by the way, reminds me like much like Sister Judy. This woman knows how to pray. She knows how to get through. This boy, this, he' he's now man, he's tormenting. He, 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 he says to this dear lady in the church, he said, "Listen, I hadn't been here very long, but they tell me, you really know how to pray." You really know how to get through. That when you pray, God really listens and God really speaks. You have this wonderful relationship with God. He said, can I talk to you for a few minutes? They sat down on the front pew, and he said, if you only knew where I was and what I did, I can't get it out of my head. It torments me day and night. He looked into the eyes of this elderly woman and he said, but you have a reputation of praying. Ma'am, this thing is tormenting me so much that I want you to ask God what my sins are. And if God tells you what my sins are, then I will know that you can really pray through And he said, ma'am, would you ask God to reveal to you what my sin is? She said, why, sure. They had a little prayer time there. A few weeks went by. The young man went to this elderly lady and he said, have you had a chance to talk with God? Let me back up just a little bit. When they were sitting there on a pew, the lady says to the young man, listen, have you given them to the Lord?
0: Have you asked him to forgive you?
1: Have you confessed your sins? Ma'am, I have. I've done all that. I, I ask God to forgive me every day for these sins. Repetitiously. Over, I can't shake it. But you've asked God to forgive you. Yeah. A few weeks go by... He says, have you had a chance to ask God what my sins are? She said, oh, yeah. He said, could we go down to the front like we sat in that pew that day and talk about it? She said, yeah. So they get down here on the front. He's sweating bullets. He said, you ask God what my sins are? She said, I sure did, son. What did he say?
0: She said, son, this is what God said. Ask him what sins is he talking about? He said, what do you mean? He said, she said, you asked God to forgive you, right? Yeah. Well, son, he
1: not only put them in the depths of the sea, he not only removed them as far as the east is from the west, But he don't remember what you're talking about. Because it's under
0: the blood.
1: And I tell you, friend, whatever may be tormenting you today, listen, put it under the blood. And when the devil comes and says what you used to do and what you used to say, listen, all you need to say is talk to him. And he'll tell you the same thing: What sins are you talking about? Calvary covers it all." Amen.
0: You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at Bufordroadbaptistchurch.com.